YouTubers, thrill seekers, small gerbils, and people named Bob. Welcome. It is I, your favorite obscure social studies teacher with just enough expertise to make things interesting, Mr. Palumbo, and this is the Professor Liberty Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the show, a, f- a special Friday edition where we're going to continue to analyze the First Amendment and, uh, you know, continue with our discussion by dissecting freedom of the press. Just a reminder, if you'd like to email the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. Don't hesitate to leave your comments, questions, concerns, complaints, inquiries, tips, tricks, and even dad jokes. Yes, I do a lot of dad jokes in class. It's kind of my calling card. Don't hesitate to send them to professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. All right, so I hope everyone's doing well. I hope the school year is ending for you in a, in a good way and you're finding peace. You're going you're gonna to find a, a getaway for the summer, get away from the craziness the liberal indoctrination. Hopefully you guys will find good summer trips with the family, get away, go to the park, go camping, and get away from the madness. It's very important. So we started unpacking the First Amendment, and in our first few shows, uh, we were talking about what the First Amendment really encapsulates, and that's this idea of freedom of conscience, Freedom of the individual. And being an individual means you have your own thoughts, your own beliefs, your own values. The freedom of speech and the freedom of religion allow you to share with people what you believe, and it allows you to bring those values and beliefs into the public square. It also allows you to bring those beliefs into government, and in a democratic society, we vote for people that hopefully share our values, or as much as possible, they share our values. And free speech and freedom of religion, along with freedom of the press, acting as that third leg to the stool, if you will, are all, by their nature, by their essence, antagonizing to government and antagonizing to those in power and to those who sit in power. In our society, under our Constitution, the government is not allowed to dictate what we believe, what we say. And it's it's an important piece to the puzzle, this freedom of the press, if you will. Freedom of the press is that key that turns the engine on. So as always, we're going to draw from our primary sources. So let's have a reading of the First Amendment in its totality. And it reads... Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Okay, so uh, there's going to be a lot of reading from quotes today. I got a couple people that I want to quote from. Hopefully it'll all come together in a coherent way. Um, but I think they do a better job articulating the importance of free press better than I ever could or will. Firstly, let me remind you guys what I said in the last episode on free speech. 
And if, if this is the only thing you remember, mission accomplished. In its basic form, in its basic essence, free press is there to speak truth to power. It is not really about disseminating information or giving people, quote, the facts, though that is indeed part of it. In regards to the Constitution and in regards to our American form of government, freedom of press is there to allow journalists and authors and pamphleteers, or in today's world, bloggers and podcasters and so on, it's, it's there to allow them the freedom to question those in power without fear of reprisals. And if you get lost with anything else in this podcast, just remember that. The press is allowed to question, to verify, to investigate, and to challenge the government without fear of retaliation. And you can clearly see why this is needed, right? I mean, we can... What happens if you're a living in China and you speak out against the communist government in China or you make fun of Kim Jong-un in North Korea or you draw a cartoon of the prophet Muhammad or you talk about Christian oppression in Saudi Arabia? You're not going to last very long. People that openly dissent in those countries quickly disappear. Also, coincidentally, the countries I just mentioned have something called state media, which is, a po- which is the opposite of free press, right? They have a media that is run by the government, and the whole narrative has to go through those uh, channels. Now, I do want to say quickly, I want to make this point. Unfortunately today, even though we have predictions of free press, we almost have a de facto state media, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that Uh, in a minute when I talk about how the media treats differently those who are in power. If a Republican is in power, they they treat uh, them a different way than when a Democrat is in power. And in some ways, that's kind of like a state media. I mean, imagine, imagine a political party having the media as their ally. That, that is what most dictatorial governments or authoritarian governments have. They have the media as their ally. So I just find it ironic that in our country we're supposed to have free press and we have state media more or less uh, anyway. Now, the challenge, and this is what I mostly want to talk about today, the challenge of having free press, and we're kind of dealing with that today in our country with this free speech and what's allowed to be said and how comedy is under attack and all these different things. We're, we're, there is a challenge to having free press. I mean, do, does everybody get to say whatever they want? I mean, we hear a lot lately from the Biden administration about disinformation, which, in my opinion, is a euphemism for criticism they don't like. But it's true that with a free press and with free speech, this ultimately means we have a lot of information out there, some that could be true, some that could be false, and yes, some that could be just downright weird and strange. In his essay, Franklin and Free Speech, author Millick, and I hope I pronounced his name correctly, sums up the precarious reality of having free press this way. He says, quote, many Americans today have an ambivalent stance towards free press. On one hand, nearly all citizens assess to the idealism that originally justified its creation. We value the discovery and the circulation of the truth and the prevention of government tyranny 
As such, the press is meant to serve both intellectual and political liberty. Yet, on the other hand, few citizens directly experience this idealism, feeling instead the press's forcefulness, flattery, vehemence, and sometimes fanaticism, often akin to warfare directed at their minds and sentiments. Rather than heading off intellectual and political dogma, the press often creates or disseminates it. A great disparity thus exists between the press's ideals and its practices today. So what is he saying here? What he's saying here is we all know what the press is supposed to do. The press is supposed to get to the bottom of things, uncover the truth, you know, criticize those in power and make them justify their actions. But instead we get, you know, Johnny Depp's uh, dysfunctional marriage trial or we get, oh my gosh, Obama wore a tan suit one time to a press conference. Instead of getting to the bottom of the Afghanistan withdrawal, we get things like, is math racist? So there clearly is a difference between the idealism of free speech and free press and the practice of free speech and and free press. And I think most people can fully understand that tension today. We all see how the media distorts headlines or edits footage or, you know, omits facts, all to shape a narrative. And any objective person, I don't care if you're a liberal or a conservative, if you're an objective person and you're an honest person, we all can see that there is a difference with how the media treats a Republican or a Democrat. All you have to do is watch press conferences when a Republican is in office versus when a Democrat's in office. I remember when President Obama would give a press conference, he'd rattle off the most eloquent word salad for an answer. I mean, we're not talking Kamala Harris or President Biden word salads. We're talking, you know, you know, God mode level word salads. He would spend a 15 minute pontification of words that when you got done, you have no idea what he said. But oh, my gosh, it was so wonderful sounding. And the media would just bob their heads in awe and they would just bat, you know, bask in his presence. And of course, they would never have any follow up critical questions because everything Obama said was true. There was no look into the IRS scandal where the IRS was intimidating conservative groups or there was no real dig into Operation Fast and Furious where the government was selling guns to the cartels. And then once those guns would come back and kill Americans, they could say, see, we need gun control. There was no there was no real dig into these matters. And then, of course, President Obama, at the end of his eight years, can say, we've uh, never had a, uh, a, a scandal. This was a scandalous presidency. And everybody cheers when we know that's not true. But, oh, man, let President Trump, let's go back and do some research. I'm not making this up. You guys can look at this. You can do some homework. Go do some homework. Compare and contrast, boys and girls. Go back and compare the questions that Obama got versus questions that Trump would get. You know, Obama, and I'm just tongue-in-cheek here, but Obama would get questions like, uh, Mr. President, uh, sir, your majesty, Mr. President, uh, uh, what's your favorite color? And a follow-up question would be, why do people hate you 
Mr. President, when clearly you're so amazing. Why don't people see how amazing you are, Mr. President? <laughs> I mean, that was basically the question. Now, I'm making that up, a little tongue-in-cheek here, but that was the question. And then he would give his 15-minute most eloquent word salad. And Trump would get questions like this. Uh, why can't you just admit you're racist? I mean, clearly you're racist. And clearly you're the worst person to ever be president. So why can't you just admit that? Just a few weeks ago, uh, TV journalist Pierce Morgan was caught editing a tape to make former President Trump look bad. And if it wasn't for Trump's team filming the interview as well, and then they leaked their, their footage, they had their data, their evidence, we would have never known the truth. And the media would have just peddled the lie to fuel Trump rage and increase their ratings. And notice how there's no retractions. How many, how many lies in the past five years have the media been caught in, their hands in the cookie jar, and there's no retractions? But it's too late. The damage has been done. The narrative has been set. People's minds have been molded. And you move on to the next thing. You know, I used to listen, I'm a huge Rush Limbaugh fan. I listened to Rush Limbaugh for probably 16 years, almost every day. And I witnessed firsthand, I would listen to an entire episode of Rush Limbaugh. And then some kind of controversy, the so-called controversy was spun up. And you could, you could read it in word or you could listen to it on the news, how they would twist out of context what he said. And I literally heard the whole thing in context. And it, was, it was funny because it was like, that's not what he said. That's, that's not what he said. But people aren't going to go back. People are lazy. This is the same reason why you can read the headlines. You know, Trump is a racist. He said all Mexicans are rapists. And then you read down a couple paragraphs and uh, where did he say that? Oh, he actually didn't say that. It's because people are lazy, right? They're lazy. So they don't do any fact checking. So they just go with the narrative. This is why Rush used to call it drive-by journalism. The news comes in with the story, stirs up whatever they want to stir up, totally make thing up, things up in the process, and then and leave, kind of like gangsters do when they drive by and, and try to kill somebody, right? It reminds me of that quote from Mark Twain. It says, a lie travels around the world and back while the truth is still lacing up its boots. Now, look, I'm not trying to be a Trump or a Rush Limbaugh apologist, I'm just pointing out that the media and the press in this country are very biased. It is very slanted towards one viewpoint. The, view, the point I want to make is I wish the press would just do its job and hold all politicians' feet to the fire. I'm not asking for a pass for Republicans. Yes, ask them hard questions. Don't let in. Don't give up. But ask the other side those same hard questions because you, your job as the press is to hold those people in charge, hold their feet to the fire. So what do we do about this clear corruption of the news, you know, on both sides? I mean, there, there's right wing news that is just as damaging. What do we do about this, this corruption? Well, according to French writer and philosopher Alexis de Tocqueville, nothing. That's right. De Tocqueville believed that the benefits of free press far outweigh the dangers. And like I said in the last episode, good ideas will always rise to the top, and we must believe that the truth will always prevail. One identified author wrote of de Tocqueville, When it comes to the press, 
to Tocqueville concluded that there's really no middle ground between servitude, a press that is wholly subservient to the state, and license, a press that is wholly unrestricted. In order to reap the priceless goods that derive from freedom of the press, he went on, one must learn to accept the inevitable evils that it breeds. In another place, de Tocqueville wrote about journalism, the spirit of journalism is to appeal crudely, directly, and artlessly to the passions of the people he is addressing, forsaking principles in order to portray individuals, pursue them in their private lives, and lay bare their weaknesses and vices, unquote. Boy, does that sound like paparazzi today or not? And this was 150 years ago, folks. So, I mean, obviously not much has changed. But even with his disdain for journalism, Tocqueville remained a fierce defender of free press. Why is that? Well, basically, free press is like the yellow flower in Jungle Book. You guys ever seen the, the new Jungle Book? Not the old one. I never liked the old one. But the new one, the live action one, it's pretty good. I actually think it's a pretty good movie. But it's like... It's like that yellow flower. And, and how do the animals describe the yellow flower, which is fire, by the way, if you haven't seen the movie, they call fire the yellow flower. They describe it as a source of light and heat and good, you know, good things. But in control, they're good. But sometimes the red flower gets out of control and it's harmful, and it burns down the whole jungle. Well, the freedom of the press is kind of like fire. It's kind of like that yellow flower. It has benefits and dangers, but the benefits far outweigh the dangers, just like free speech. You see how all of these are, are related. What would you rather have, the government determining what you can say or being able to say whatever you want and letting society and letting the marketplace of ideas determine what should be your punishment, if anything? So I want to leave you guys with this, okay? Just remember that the freedom of the press is there to criticize, to question, to speak truth to power. Yes, the Pentagon Papers back in the Nixon administration, do that. Show the government being distrustful. Show the misdeeds. Expose the darkness. But here's the thing. You got to expose the darkness on both sides or else you're just state media. You're just a political arm or, or you're just a propaganda arm for one political party. I want to leave you with this quote. It says, freedom of the press, if anything at all, means freedom to criticize and oppose. And that's from George Orwell. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to email the show, the email is ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook. We're also on Parlor. If you'd like to help me out financially, go to TeachersPayTeachers.com and look at the activities and worksheets and lessons that you can purchase for your homeschool or your classroom. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. Liberty.